worst loot ever. Oh my god, that was a total rim job, Codex. Didn't come to my house, knew whatever she wanted with her finger. What? I cracked the windows. Help me, Codex One. You're my only hope. Women. Can't live with them? They will not go out with me. Hi, this is Kenny. And this is Jenny. And you're listening to Knights of the Guild, the official fan podcast for the web series The Guild. This is Microcast Lucky 13. Part 1. Welcome to a special edition of Knights of the Guild. It's a microcast. This is a special microcast all about the recent Christmas episode, The Guild Sells Out. Uh-huh, they sure did. They did, I know. In a big, big, big way. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so we were fortunate enough to get Greg Arnowitz, who actually wrote, directed, and created all the props for this. And we sit down for a nice, long conversation with him. Uh, we had a great time. We just actually finished that a few minutes ago. And Yeah, get some was- milk and cookies and get comfy. And yes. Get ready it's, for the awesomeness that is Greg. Yeah, he, he was awesome. So uh, we really appreciate him taking the time and actually chatting with us. And actually for all the fans, too, because you guys sent in some great questions. Yeah, we had go- so many questions. And there was a bunch of them that like we may not have specifically asked them, but he did answer them all, which is yes. amazing. Yeah, as he would go through, he would answer them. We're like, okay, I don't need to ask that one. So we did. We asked, We tried to ask all the questions, but there was, like I said, there were a lot of them, and he did answer most of them. So we think we covered everything pretty good. So uh, why don't we go ahead and take a listen to that interview right now? Check it out. All right, so we have Greg Arnowitz. Uh, he's our uh, special interview for today. Um, he actually is the the creator, the writer, the director, the creator of all the merchandise. He did the entire Christmas special single single handedly. So uh, welcome, Greg. Hi, Greg. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Jenny. I yeah. Well, single handedly, uh, maybe a mastermind, but there's yeah. there's a lot of crew, there's a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of support. You're the instigator. <laughs> that is the perfect word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> All right, well, we have tons of questions from fans who who are we're just so interested in in every aspect of uh the Christmas special. But first we want to start with a little bit of background. I just wanted to know how you got into the field of uh, uh special effects making. More, you know, model making stuff like that. Um I mean, I guess kind of almost by accident. I mean, I um I always wanted to be in film since I was like way little, you know, I saw Star Wars as a little kid and I was pretty much like, that's what I want to do forever, mm-hmm. you know, but I was, my goal was really to make like the whole movie to, you know, be a writer and a director. And, um, I think it might be easier now for people to be able to do that because you can like buy equipment and, you know, with all yeah. of the, uh, the HD stuff. And, but when I started, um, it was pretty much like th- there weren't independent films. Everything was big studio. And, you know, I thought I could just come out from Jersey to L.A. and march into Warner Brothers and <laughs> say, I want to direct a movie. And, you know, they were just like, yeah, back in the line, loser. <laughs> you know? So um, I had artistic abilities and, and, you know, a background in, in high school. I made money just doing art stuff. So it mostly was just to stay alive until I got the chance to 
direct and then i kind of got sucked into that machine for 20 years <laughs> uh-huh. now now most of us see star wars and we all want to do that but most of us don't do it for real life so how what, how did you actually make that step into i mean who gave you your first break um well i guess my my first break came from uh well it was a strike actually but not the strike we just went through it was you know the one, two decades previous, because I started out, you know, super young. I mean, the second I graduated high school, I was just like, I've got to get to L.A. because mm-hmm. th- there were there were no movies going on on the East Coast. Like, if if there was, they were um, like on location from L.A. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there was no New York film scene or anything like there is now. So I came out and um, basically there was I can't remember if it was the Writers Guild or SAG, but one of the major unions was on strike and holding up the whole industry. And But there was still work to be done. Uh, yeah. They couldn't have union guys do it. So I had run into somebody at a restaurant um, within the first week that I was out here, and um, I showed them you – know, I heard they were in the industry, and I showed them some of my art, and they were like, wow, we have – you know, absolutely no use for anything like that, but we'll keep you in mind just in case. So out of the blue, I get this phone call, and they said, hey, we need some sets painted. You know, our, our crew's on strike. We need people willing to be scabs and cross the line. And I was like, I have no idea what that means, but if you're going to pay me to do something for film, I'm there. And I went down um, to paint these flats for a commercial, and there was another guy that came to scab and he talked to the supervisor and told him that he was design or he was the set construction coordinator on a low budget science fiction movie and he was looking for people that knew about science fiction because he was clueless mm-hmm. and the supervisor was like oh, i just hired that kid over there um why don't you ask him and so the guy asked me i said i was totally interested and he said all right well we got to start this afternoon so I went to see the supervisor to see if he would let me quit because he just hired me, and he was like, go, you know, and um, I went on to that job, and two weeks later, I was just kind of like a set PA that was helping with the art department, mm-hmm. and um, they'd give me little odd jobs to make a prop or paint a thing, or, and two weeks into it, the uh, uh, producer fired the designer and turned to me, and he said, you know what you're doing, kid, you're in charge. Because it was like super low budget. Yeah. And uh, so I became in charge. And so some of those people left to go on to another movie. And they said, hey, we know this guy. And he's cheap and good. And then, you know, they told two people. And then they told two people. And, you know. Oh, yeah. Word of mouth. That's really awesome. Yeah, yeah. So you 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 didn't have any formal training for this. You didn't, like, go to school to study this? No, I didn't. I actually – I think I failed uh, art in high school for being a smart ass. <laughs> <laughs> and um, no, I actually came to L.A. thinking I would go to film school, but I couldn't afford it. And I heard that if you lived in California for six months, you became a resident. And then all like UCLA and UC and uh, USC, like it got cheaper. Mm-hmm. So that was my plan. But within six months, I was actually head of the art department on these different little movies and uh, I tell people like, Oh, I'm really, I'm going to try and go to film school. And they were like, well, people go to film school to get the job you have. So why don't you just 
tough it out and see what happens. So. Yeah, you just circumvented that whole process. You're like, ah, I'm that's so nice. I know. Not many people can do that. You know. Yeah, you know, it's it's um it's a tough thing because I go to a lot of schools now, and um, you know, when I'm touring around trying to promote the different movies or. I talk to a lot of kids and it's, you know, inevitably the, the teacher, the professor always asks like, well, and how, you know, what school did you go to? Yeah, and what, yeah, what degree yeah. do you have? So, it, you know, it's not something that um, I like to necessarily promote because it, it really, this, it, it's a weird thing. Like I've known people that went to school and have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars for a degree and, um, you know, haven't worked on any movies yes, and then there's people that didn't go to school and have won Oscars. And so, but there's no telling which way it's going to go. So really it's up to the individual. You know, I feel like some people need school for the, the discipline and, and exposure and yeah. Yeah. Just for life, know. life learning. Yeah. To be honest, I probably would have failed if I went to school. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, most I, I, I people ask me all the time because I went to college, but you know, I wouldn't change my college life. I enjoyed it; I had so much fun. But you know, if I would have left high school and came straight into the industry, I probably would be higher than where I'm at now, just because I would have got a head start. Yeah, I think people forget too that it really is kind of like a an apprentice yes. type. You know, it it it's kind of it is a guild in in itself, um, and it is kind of a exposure and, and seniority and yeah so it's almost like no matter if you could go to the best film school in the world when you come out you are still an entry level yep and you know a lot of people don't realize that edge yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well at the school also you make connections and it's who you know in this industry that gives you Absolutely. work Absolutely. you know so I totally agree. And and it gives you, you know, you get a little click together. It's like because you look at the history of film and even, you know, my whole thing was the, the whole 80s, um, you know, Lucasfilm Amblin mm-hmm. type. And, mm-hmm. and it was like, oh, it's so weird that those guys know each other. Well, no, they all went to school together. You yeah. Know, Zemeckis and, and uh, you know, Joe Dante and, and Spielberg and Lucas and. You know, and they were all mentored by the guys that came before them that came into the schools and stuff. And so they all worked the Coppolas and yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and so it is kind of a networking thing. And I think one of the main things I missed out though is, uh, you know, the social life. And you know, I spent my all of my twenties in a um, cinder block warehouse making monsters, and you know. I didn't even know there actually were real women uh, <laughs> in LA. I thought they were just all on TV, you know. So um, it's definitely uh, something, you know, just yeah. prepares you yeah. more for life. But yeah, I totally agree. All right, uh, let's go. Next question: What are some of the big films that you worked on? Like big. Um, big oh, you guys asked me this last time, and I, I know. Now I can't think of anything. Now. Um, <laughs> Well, I will say this. Uh, I did not work on Avatar, even though all my friends did. It's, I saw there were like some tweets. Um, people were confusing uh, date my Avatar with, with Avatar. That's funny. And, and they're like, you made the weapons? For, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, you should take credit for that. He's like, yeah, totally did. <laughs> that was me. 
no. But you worked on. I'm proud of the uh, the weapons for for date my yes yes. But um, no, I worked on um, like Jurassic Park, Lost World, and and uh, Terminator Two, and Minority Report, Saving Private Ryan. Um, you worked contact. on Star Wars, the, the the new Star Wars movies. No, I did stuff for Lucasfilm, mm-hmm. but nothing directly for the movies. I did some, you know, recreations of some of the older characters and stuff that they used to promote the movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, that's like a whole long story that we'll save for some other time. <laughs> but it was weird because I really did feel like, you know, since I was seven years old, my whole goal was to, if they ever made another Star Wars, to work on Star Wars. And um at the time that those things came up, I was working for Spielberg, and it was, um, I don't know, it was just a whole weird kind of thing in terms of what the different productions were mm-hmm. trying to do. So, mm-hmm. and, and I also, you know, the, the, the things they were offering on Star Wars were um, like seven, they wanted seven-year contracts because they were doing all three movies. Yeah. And it was really at the time <laughs> where... I was just starting to feel like I had more control over my career, and you know, I had just directed my first TV series, and and um, what TV series was that? Black Scorpion. Black Scorpion. Yeah, it was a Sci-Fi Channel thing. Okay. Uh, starring Michelle Lintel, and it was kind of like a um, uh, like female Batman. Okay. Kind of thing, but um. Yeah, Roger Corman produced it. <laughs> if you're wondering why, you're like, how come I haven't heard of that? Well, maybe, like, you know. Um, but, you know, I got to do it. I did the, the season finale, like the big, you know, two-part episode. And, mm-hmm. and so I was like, hmm, this is like what I've always wanted. But at the same time, do I want to basically disappear off the map for seven years? I know. That's you know? a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. But it's Star uh, yeah, Wars. Well, it yeah, it was it was a weird, Star weird, yeah, tough thing, you know. But I feel like you know every choice you make leads you down a path, and um, you know, obviously the choices I made led to the path of the uh, Guild Christmas special, which is uh, <laughs> you know pretty damn cool. So I have no regrets. Yeah. What's your favorite prop that you've ever made? Wow, um, that's a that's a tough question. Well, there's definitely some some uh, new ones on the list now. I think that Vork Bank is pretty far <laughs> up there. I really, really is had really a good time. Really indestructible. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get to that story. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's yeah. gonna be a good story. Um, <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, but no, I would probably say. Um, Jodie Foster's spacesuit for Contact. That was that's cool. pretty damn cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then um, the uh, Gotham snow globe for Batman and Robin. You know, oh, and th- oh, and that's one of those things where that's really why I was like, I've got to focus and and kind of move away from the art department as as great as it is, and you know, working on all these huge movies and stuff, but you would just do all this stuff and work so hard. And then you didn't really control the outcome of the whole product, mm-hmm. you know? 
You just had your piece of it. And it's like that's one of those movies that I feel like I actually did some of my best work for that movie. And and people hate that movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> like people – if I was at Comic-Con and I you know talk about that movie, like they'll throw shit at me. Uh-huh. Stuff. Throw stuff at me. <laughs> um, but uh, – you know, so I was like, well, I have to kind of figure out how to, um, you know, just have more control over what yeah. Yeah, the end result is. So if people love it, then thank you. And if they hate it, then I can learn from the experience. But I don't have to stand there trying to – with a bunch of excuses. Well, you know, he wanted to do this and there were – you know, the nipples weren't my idea and, you know, that whole <laughs> – Oh, the nipples. <laughs> how many times in your life can you say – uh, that uh, you're that you're not responsible for the nipples. Yeah, I will, well, believe me, I've had to so many times because that's instantly right where people go, and it's like, no, 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 see the snow globe? Like, look how cool it was. But all they can think about, you know, are the nipples. Was, yeah, and Arnold being, you know, chill out, Gotham. You know, like, <laughs> uh, all right, I so, teach you. <laughs> let's go ahead, and we're gonna uh, get into the Christmas special. We have a bunch yeah, of. Uh, Fan, inter- uh, fan fan questions. So we will start with that. Uh, let's see. We have our first question is from Ken Todd. He asks, what prompted the idea of the guild sells out? Did Greg approach Felicia with the idea or was it the other way around? Um, well, let's see. How to make a uh, short story long. Um, <laughs> no, well, I guess... W- w- We'll probably have to start, you know, like way back, like, you know, um, it was actually, Kenny, you're the one who started this whole thing. Uh-oh. You know, if you know that, or maybe you do, <laughs> and you, you want the credit. <laughs> no, I don't know. But no, so um, we did the, the Avatar video, and then like right after that, if you guys remember, was Felicia's birthday. Mm-hmm. And, um, (laughs) you know, Kenny, when you were coming by, you were filming the whole uh, making of all the props, Mm -hmm. you know, which people are going to get to see soon, which is very cool. Yep. Um, And you saw that, you know, I'd done all the action figures and everything. And you were like, wow, you know, Felicia said that, like, that's one of her main dreams is to have an action figure made of her. Mm -hmm. So, So then I knew her birthday was coming up. And I was like, all right, you know what? This will be cool. I'll make a, you know, Codex action figure. And I was like a week into it when uh, Kim Evie called and was like, you know, we're doing this whole party. And um, if you want to help do some decorations. And I was like, well, what, you know, what do you, what's the overall theme? And she's like, well, I don't know. We're, you know, it's going to be like a, maybe an 80s kind of thing. And I have some black tablecloths and pink streamers. And I was like. And and she's like, that's about where we're at. So I was like, oh, okay, let me let me you know help you with this. So I totally switched gears and did. I'm sure people have seen it. The uh, like the Felicia Nagel and the Rubik's cube centerpieces. And, that stuff was but, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun. But the but the action figure got put aside. So then I was looking at it, you know, a couple months later, and. I was like, I should really finish this thing. And I was like, well, you know, it's just kind of weird. I said, I wish there was like a purpose, a greater purpose than just like, here, Felicia, I did this for you. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I'm actually working on this idea for a, a web series. Um, 
and I had this concept within it that you know it was it's like a show about a show and that they get pitched merchandise and all the merchandise is all like totally wacky and I was like you know what maybe I should just throw that out to Felicia and um and I did and she you know really responded to it but she said um she goes you know I don't it really doesn't fit into the context of the show but she said you know since we did the Xbox thing and the video there's all this buzz about us selling out she's like what if we do a you know like a, just a standalone thing about the guild selling out and so that was kind of the genesis of it and then it grew into being you know schedule wise it seemed to fit the Christmas theme and then it got split up into individual things and mm-hmm. you know so it changed a lot but that that was the whole idea was started from you saying oh Felicia wants action figure and the the <laughs> The kicker of it, which I'm, I, we can get to when we talk about Codex too, but is um, I still never finished that action figure. I know we had all, all these ideas for these different things, and but the whole time I kept saying, "Oh, and then you know, Felicia, you have the action figure," but she had all these ideas for like every other kind of product except <laughs> an action figure. So maybe one day, maybe one day we'll get a Codex action figure. <laughs> Tonewall asks, who did the Knights of Good collection logo, music, and whip effects? <laughs> uh, that was actually three different people. The art existed already. Um, the thing is, I love that piece of art. It's just, it's really well done. I, I love the colors. I love the whole, um, the texture of it, that it looks like, you know, part, like, stained glass and 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 mm-hmm. um and part like fresca you know and um so i thought it would be fun to have that in the commercials and so i have a bunch of guys that work with me and um kevin ivers who i call amish and you can actually see kevin a lot in the uh alien ninja um dot tv stuff he, he was around on that um but he is really good at um, After Effects. And so one of the dangers of all these guys being around that have all these amazing abilities is I feel like any random idea that pops into my head can just be executed you know, <laughs> right away. So, you know, this was obviously like a small project and yeah. we were trying to get it done really fast. And every day I just kept adding like a hundred new things to it but that was one of them I, I said to kevin hey could you um kind of bring this logo to life for me and i think he was really into it and he went above and beyond and really you know yeah made it cool felicia actually saw it and was like i didn't even know we could do that she's like don't, don't be surprised if that ends up on season four like, ah, just, you know buy kevin a pizza or something you know um, and then the the music was done by Guy Harrington, who is actually um, the bassist and writer of most of the songs for my favorite band in the world called World Without Sundays. And, um, and also his solo album is totally awesome. Um, he did all the score, but he wrote the little, you know, the trumpets horn and flourish yeah. thing that goes yeah. over that. And then um, Pax, my editor, um, went in and pulled a bunch of sound effects and put that all together. So nice. 
Well, awesome. We have a, a question from Anne Richmond. She asks, how long did it take to make each of the toys, and what exactly are they made of? Hmm. So let's start with let's start with the Codex Orb. <laughs> well, the Codex Orb probably took the longest in terms of just um, not hours put into it, but like mm-hmm. you know, from time beginning to end, because it was uh, Felicia, and I wanted to make it you know really perfect, and you know, you never want to piss off the executive producer slash star <laughs> of the show. And, um, but also it was a, it was a, a you know, base relief, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's a pretty touch and go kind of art style. You know, it's, it's, it could either be right or very, very wrong. It's, it's, there's never really a middle ground. Mm-hmm. So, but I'd say sculpting wise, I really, um, actually going to blog about these things too i just sent you a work blog today kenny you did and um, i'll be getting it up as soon as i can <laughs> so i'm going to go like into more detail on that but i think um i essentially had six props i had to make in about two weeks from the time we decided to officially do it to when we could film and still get it out in time for christmas mm-hmm. so it kind of boiled down to like two three days a piece that got you know, jumbled up as I, you know, overlapped. So there's probably about, I don't know, probably like a dozen hours of sculpting mm-hmm. into her. And then um, we made two. One that I uh, dissected an actual Magic 8 ball. Um, so when the kids shake it, there was the liquid and the cube going around. Mm-hmm. And then there was a second one that had like the fake 8 ball that mm. we put our own little writing in. So that didn't actually have a liquid or anything. It was just a no back to it. So mm-hmm. It was just like a, you know, an effect. Um, and most of the props are cast out of uh, a urethane. So they're all like prototype materials. And for me, that was the biggest hurdle is um, because I do so much like toy prototyping and everything. I could not break out of this, like it has to be perfect kind of mode, you know, <laughs> like I probably could have stopped halfway on any of the projects and, you know, on YouTube, they'd be fine. But mm-hmm. I was like, you know, fans might be able to get a hold of these or, you know, like I just, I want people when they look at them up close to feel like that this was purchased from a store. So yeah. Yeah. I did a bunch of all nighters. <laughs> Yeah, and I saw them all up close. So you can see the attention to detail. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. So how about yeah? How about the the Tink doll? Yeah, the Tink doll was probably my greatest failure (laughs) (laughs) because um, you know I wanted all the props to be like completely unique and and a hundred percent you know made from from the ground up i always intended to use like barbie bodies mm-hmm. um just you know there was no reason to you know go from scratch but um i was actually sculpting an amy head for the the tanks and um it just you know 
the hair on the dolls and everything, like they have this whole patented system of like, you know, kind of threading the hair like mm-hmm. eggs and it makes it look so perfect. And, and um, you know, if it was the only prop, I, I'm sure I would have been able to make it work. But it was the kind of thing where time was getting short. And it, mm-hmm. I just wasn't really happy with the way that it was going, and I and I had Amy in the in the piece, mm-hmm. you know, as as herself as the doll. So um, I kind of felt like I had a little more freedom. So at the last minute, my my art director Alina like ran out and found some uh, uh, Asian Barbies. Was it Asian? <laughs> and, people asked if it was Pocahontas. I think it's actually Mulan. Okay, Mulan. <laughs> I don't know if Disney will see me oh. saying that, but <laughs> but um, I I repainted them. I repainted them so that they were a little different. We you know trimmed the hair and did all this stuff and and uh, and it was funny because Amy saw it and I was like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I was really trying to do a portrait of you, and she's like. She's like, oh, you couldn't get any closer than this. <laughs> it looked good. Like, okay, well, if, yeah. you, if you're happy with it, yeah, it totally worked. It just bummed me out because I really wanted to it to be a sculpt of her, but, um, but you know, yeah, I, I did, I did the other five from from scratch, so there needed to be some flexibility. Otherwise, I was gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about the blades blade? Yeah, that was like one of the craziest ones. That was, that was definitely scary. One of the... <laughs> it worked. It, it was one of the ones that um, right off the bat that was my idea um, for that character. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, that's perfect. Like we didn't – there was no discussion. or, um, And uh, yeah, it just it's just so wrong, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to have this like toy that like has a lethal – and the knife was actually really sharp like – it was. Um, I actually ruined one of the shirts when, when because uh, those were my hands and the close up of the knife cutting because we didn't want the kids to run around with the blades and stuff and, um, and I actually like sliced through a shirt trying to open that plastic bag so, <laughs> so they were that sharp but yeah I bought from Chinatown I bought uh, a bunch of switchblades and then sculpted the um, the body around that and did it in two parts so I could mold it and, but it would always fit over the switchblade. Mm-hmm. And, um, I thought it was funny when I was looking it up cause I really wanted like the, you know, out of the front type switchblade and they were pretty hard to find. And it turns out that they actually are illegal in like 47 States. <laughs> and, uh, you know, randomly I live in the state, one of the States that, they're legal so yeah i don't know what that tells you but <laughs> all right let's go um, to let's move on to zabu cool because you you molded uh, all that from scratch because i saw the molding yeah yeah that was all um just started out as a as a plastic tube that fit over some uh breath freshener in a in a spray um and then just yeah, sculpted him up. He he turned out maybe slightly more like a um, nutcracker. Than <laughs> yeah, I yeah, he, yeah, yeah, you know? I see that. Sure, he yeah, he kind of looked like a little wooden soldier, but it, it actually fit the Christmas theme, so that yeah. was fine. Um, yeah. I can tell you, I, I don't know. This might be another question, and I don't want to 
<laughs> you know, for, but um, uh, originally he was intended to be, and Felicia will probably kill me for saying this, but I thought it would be funny if he was like a vibrator or a dildo. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny, but I can see why they didn't uh, go that route. <laughs> yeah, it was, well, Felicia was like, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. I'm like, I don't know. It just seemed like he's just, like his character is just so yeah wound up, you know, sexually. So, um, but she definitely wanted to keep in the theme of, you know, Mm-hmm. The, the sexual uh, desire, so we went with the pheromone spray. But um, uh, yeah, it just that was a wacky, wacky product. But it actually did work. Like when you when it sprays, there's it stuff did. coming out. And you made a lot of them because I mean there was like twelve of them with headless zaboos all over the place, and then all the heads yeah, were well, separate. Again, just another <laughs> thing that. Um, <laughs> it was funny. It was I was like really freaking out that people might not like these little you know commercials because every everything I did, whether it was like what we filmed or what I made or you know like when Kim Evie came by or Sean Becker or Jeff Lewis, like the first thing anybody said about anything was that's creepy. <laughs> you know, they thought all the zaboos were creepy. They thought Jeff's bank was creepy. They they thought um, the fact that the uh, um, head comes off of Clara was creepy. They thought that, you know, all the guys standing in line for the Tink Doll was creepy. But when it all comes together, I guess, it, thank God, it's funny. But each individual thing was creepy. Yeah, yeah. Now, speaking of the, the, the Clara uh, Mommy and Me cookie jar kegerator, um, how'd you guys, now was that, did you look at, did you model after a cookie jar? Like a real cookie jar? Yeah, I did. I, I don't know. If you, well, I don't know how often you walk through the kitchen when you come by here, but we had to clean it out for when we shot that spot because that's actually my kitchen. But uh, I'm a cookie jar fan, um, mostly like Star Wars and, and Wizard of Oz. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, weird. Um, but uh, I thought it would just be funny to have this like totally irreverent cookie jar that also had the keg in it, you know, it just seemed suited to the character. But what I did is I pulled up a, I specifically don't have any of the cookie jars that are supposed to be portraits because they never are quite right. Mm-hmm. You know, like the princess Leia or, um, the, uh, uh like Dorothy is always like, there's a, something freaky about <laughs> having to take out all the undercuts and stuff. And, um, so, I tried to emulate that a little bit and, you know, and it's, uh, it, but it is about the right size for a cookie jar and it could actually be, and that one's made out of fiberglass because it wanted to be hollow. Mm-hmm. Well, it was really, it's really creepy. <laughs> See, Everything is creepy. I'm <laughs> adorable. Ah, you got to see it in person. <laughs> That is true. <laughs> all right. Well, it's, it's the kind of thing that I think, um, it, again, they're all really meant to be just for the commercials. And in context, in context, they're they're funny. But I think, yeah, no one wants to come home and see, like, a human head on their kitchen counter. <laughs> you know? uh, uh, speaking of human heads, let's uh, move on to the Vork Bank. That's <laughs> yes, the, the last please. of the product. And I think that's probably people's most favorite or is the Vork Bank. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it was definitely the one that I was excited to start with because I think, you know, when I watch the show, the whole show makes me laugh, but there's just something about Jeff and his character that, you know. Yeah. I, I just I just always seem to laugh the hardest at his, like, one-liners and his expressions. And, and this being more of kind of like a... Um, you know, a creative outlet for me to just have fun. Yeah. And it seemed like that, that was where I wanted to start because of the challenge of trying to actually create one of those moments and capture one of those moments. So, um, you know, but it also then set the tone for what everything else would be like. Because originally I was like, Oh, I guess I can make these kind of like not fully finished because so many products when you buy them are, you know, you're like, well, oh, that kind of, you know, that doesn't look like Harry yeah. Potter. That's yeah, yeah, really, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but then I was just too into it, so I really wanted to try and make it. Uh, it really, in the end, it's not even a bank as much as it is a bust. Like that would yeah. be something I would put out in my Legends line or something. Yes, you know? definitely, definitely. All right, Jenny, you got the next question? Yep, I sure do. Uh, Jim Miller asks. Which was the most difficult to make and why of all of them? Yeah, probably the uh, Clara cookie jar because of the amount of processes and and because of the sheer size. Um, You know, all Mm -hmm. all the other ones, like the the sculpture and the mold were were all pretty containable and then the cast went pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was a bit, was it because it was hollow that make it yeah, harder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was because so it had to be done in fiberglass, and then also because like on Vork, what I did is I, I sculpted them, and then I made a mold, and then I made a casting out of that mold, and then I cleaned them up and remolded them so that the multiple Vorks I made would be like all smooth and look like a manufactured product, mm-hmm. and. Clara was so big because the the silicone that I used to make molds is really expensive. It's like 200 bucks a gallon. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't remold her. So what I had to do was cast the part in a way that um, I could actually still work on it even after it was cast. And but but then that was like the hero, like one and only prop. Mm -hmm. So it was like this kind of weird process I had to do. It took a lot of extra time. Um, again, this is one of those things where I probably could have just made the mold, popped it out, painted it, sprayed it, and no one would ever notice. But I'm like, oh, I wanted all of these smooth. <laughs> so when the, you know, when the highlights are from, yeah. from light reflecting on it, it, I don't know. I'm a yeah. little nutty. Like it was the same thing. You mentioned all the zaboos, and it's like I could have done that commercial with just the one zabu, but I really felt to separate the difference in the styles of the commercials. I wanted to see like a shelf product. Mm-hmm. So that was yeah. another all nighter. Yeah, I gotta think the the guys that uh, helped me paint those they basically stayed up for like forty hours and painted <laughs> all. It, it took about four hours of Zabu to paint, and uh-huh. there was a dozen of them. So yeah. Uh, well, Lisa asked. Uh, let's see. We already talked about the inspiration for the props, but how about the products uh, that were in the extra, like in the backgrounds, like the stockings. Stuff like that. That now the, Did you always intend to make all that stuff also? Well, I think, like I said earlier, 
I intended to make a codex action figure, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and somehow it grew into this whole thing. Um, no, I think when, when we ultimately decided that it would be a Christmas theme and that, you know, that each of the products would be their own commercial and then there would be a Christmas theme. Um, Felicia and I came up with this little intro, you know, where she would basically pitch the concept of the guild sells out. And um, I was like, all right, well, you know, I want to tie this whole thing in to both the guild and to Christmas. So we went with the whole, you know, fireplace. And there I was trying to emulate like one of those um, commercials where they sell like the CD of like the, you know, yes. the romance song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's all glowy and like all picture perfect. <laughs> and so we did, you know, the, the fur rug and, and uh, you know, the tree and, and of course, you know, I got to, uh, you know, stick my less than subtle uh, Laboo doll in the, <laughs> in the corner, you know. So, you know, yeah. LaboodVD.com, go check that out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, so it's just this this constant progression of, you know, this, this chain of thought where it's like, oh, we should hang stockings. It's like, well, what kind of stockings would Felicia have? Like maybe ones with the character names. And it's like, oh, no, wait, maybe the, the avatar. And um, again, I just have this great team of people around so I can just turn to, you know, Alina actually uh, helmed the stockings. I was like, you know, can you make me individual stockings for each character? And she was like, well, what do they look like? And I showed her the the drawing of the, you know, from the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just kind of roughed out a, a size, like, and she just went for it and made them. And I, I think for the way that this show works and, and, you know, with the audience and the internet and the, it's like, that's the kind of stuff that makes it fun. You know? Yes. Just all for the fans, layers. especially. Yeah. 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 Cause I mean, a lot of people fans are so good. I mean, the, the, the thing was, not even up for 20 minutes and you know yeah we were getting comments about like just the little details that i thought might take like weeks for people to figure out I'm like, damn <laughs> you know i needed like 50 more things but did you say that was lisa's question that was lisa's question yeah yeah you know that's lisa. she yeah, was all excited about those uh, stockings yeah and that's funny because that's another thing that you know i really like working with felicia because i feel like she's at like the forefront of this whole new movement in, in entertainment. You know, she was the one that was like, Oh, you know, you should do Twitter and all this stuff. And, and actually Lisa species is one of the people that I follow on Twitter. And, um, when I was, when, you know, when we were doing those stockings, when I thought of that idea, it was actually her that popped into my mind <laughs> because I was like, you know, I was like, Oh, she's going to appreciate this. And, and I think, that's like a whole, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, you would never have a director of a movie or something like individually picking out fans that would respond. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I really think this whole like interactive media is um, – it's just a whole new world and it's a whole new experience and it's kind of fun. So it's funny that she would send in that question. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, this interview is so epic, I had to split it into two. So stay tuned for a Microcast 13 Part 2.
The podcast you are listening to is a part of the Between the Lines Studios Network. To find more great podcasts, please visit www.betweenthelinesstudios.com. Knights of the Guild is yoked with the Geekerdome Network. Find more geeky things at geekerdome.com. So you were doing what yesterday? I was playing Oblivion for 12 hours straight. That is the most awesome thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm still working on it. <laughs> I'm the obsessive compulsive type that likes to explore every cave, every mm-hmm. nook and cranny of every mountain, every city, That's they every back alley. Yes, I you know. You know what I like? What? Civilization and a bottle of wine. <laughs> Whole day. That, that to me would be heaven. Because, as I've said before, I can't play Civilization every day, but I could play it for a whole day. If you had a bottle of wine. If I had a bottle of wine. <laughs> Otherwise, would just you play keep, it? <laughs> not like to get drunk, but just to play, have a nice little, you know. It's like a good book. Just like, Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what it is <laughs> for me. You know? And always think that I might play aggressively and then I never do. <laughs> because like, the wine mellows you out. <laughs> because the wine mellows me out. It's the most, it's awesome. It's just a really great way to spend a day. <laughs> I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to this glorious podcast, we would love to have you listen to ours, the Anomaly Podcast. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Hi, I'm Kevin Batchelder. I'm Wendy Hembrock. And I'm Brent Barrett. And we're the hosts of a new podcast called Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV. Where we discuss sci-fi and genre shows currently on television and some from the past. We're fans just like you. So join us in our water cooler and back porch discussions of your favorite shows. And strangely enough, you can find us online at tuningintosci-fi-tv.com. Be seeing you. Wait a minute. Isn't that what Bester says on Babylon 5? Maybe. I never watched Babylon 5. What? So you're a sci-fi geek who missed one of the best shows ever? Hey, hey, no details, no spoilers. I'm still catching up on DVD myself. Besides, we're not really experts or critics. We kind of think of ourselves more like guides or sci-fi Sherpas. I don't carry anyone's luggage, though. Yeah, me either. We're what we like to call the viewer's digest for genre TV. Yes, we're interested in the conversation shows generate. And speaking of sci-fi Sherpas, where would you find one of those? Mmm, Craigslist? Oh. See what I have to deal with? Knights of the Guild has a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivative works. 3.0 United States license. All rights reserved. <laughs>